0: Tripping with trip.
1: Hello, uh, my name is Allie, and I'm connected to the Habitable Spaces from coming out for a perma blitz like four years ago now, maybe five years ago. It was a while ago, but uh, Allison, and Shane, and I just really hit it off that day. So I've been out here a couple times since then. Yeah? but. It, Typically, long gaps in between every time I come out, but every time I do, I love it.
0: Okay, so it was through the permaculture community. Yeah. Cool. Um, maybe uh, explain a little bit about what that is and what you did out here. Are we looking at the garden that you did over here?
1: We That was a part of it. A lot of things look a lot different out here, but the main thing that we helped with was plant all the trees and get the garden up and going. So okay. it's definitely progressed a long time since the the blitz. Um, yeah. So what that was is is the Austin Permaculture Guild and the San Marcos uh, Permaculture Group. They put on perma blitzes, which in short is gathering a group of volunteers for a weekend at different farms or community gardens um, a- around Central Texas, and having them out for a whole weekend and just knocking out a lot of work that needs to be done. And a lot of that includes planting trees, like all those fig trees out there.
0: Oh, great. The figs, wow, those They're things big. really put out a lot of fruit. Picking yeah. them in time is a real challenge. It's yeah. it's a learning curve. It's kind of fun. Mm. So permaculture is what? Instead of using uh, traditional landscaping for yards and stuff, um, you're planting fruits, vegetables, and things that you can eat and that are useful
1: yeah that's a big part of it and uh planting in layers too just having like a bottom layer of um all sorts of different crops that grow lower vines that grow higher and then trees you're utilizing a lot of the a lot of the space that you have more effectively
0: okay so today is saturday april 24th we are at habitable spaces on the farm With Allie Stone. And Allie is a mycologist with the Central Texas Mycology. What is it?
1: Yeah. This we often go by Central Texas Mycology, but the whole name is Central Texas Mycological Society. Society.
0: Yes. They just Facebook them. It's very topical. I have never really gotten really deep into the subject, you know, especially on the culinary side, because I'm not a a cook. Mm -hmm. But I hear a, a lot of it being spoken about now in the medical community, which is kind of new. Apparently it took a like a 20-year hiatus, and people are rediscovering its benefits and exploring further. I've also heard things like, for me as a uh, an environmental thinking person, that there are mushrooms out there that might be able to absorb plastic or oil or things like this uh, pollutants that we didn't you know, think that we had a remedy for. So that's interesting. In the construction world, I've seen it used as insulation. Mm-hmm. Do you happen to know about that?
1: I can't talk about the insulation in detail, but we I've gone to the Telluride Mushroom Festival in Colorado for three years in a row, and every year they bring models of like walls of buildings. so i've I, I've seen it, but I haven't like tried to build it myself. <laughs>
0: okay. It's just fascinating that mushrooms can be used for so much. I had no idea, yeah. So, um, and it's very timely. The Austin Chronicle just had a huge cover that said many uses of mushrooms. I drink mushroom coffee, and wow, is that stuff. Effect- like, all? it's so weird. Like, you can tell the difference between regular coffee and mushroom coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, new discovery for me. Just tons okay. of other things going on. And then, of course, there's the magical, spiritual, uh, ritualistic quality to um, the psilocybin, is it?
1: Psilocybin. Psilocybin. Uh-huh.
0: Um, part of it um, that it's it, for a lot of people it's a spiritual experience I've heard mm-hmm. um, and what else do we have The in the culinary world um, I'm finding out that a lot of mushrooms are better for certain dishes than others but because they don't transport very well uh, or keep very long they've been kind of like ousted from from the shelves but a lot of those are coming back so for me knowing nothing about the culinary world i found i found all that very interesting mm-hmm. um so welcome ally it's so good to meet you we were just discussing i've never met ally before i think this is first interview i've never met before so thank you if i'm a little nervous i think we'll do well um And, uh, but, but highly recommended from the farm on, on so many subjects from um, mycology to performance, the general monologues, yeah, Mm -hmm. um, to, um, gosh, what else have we, do do you have going on?
1: Well, thank you for saying that. Um, I am a part of the Central Texas Young Farmers Coalition.
0: Right. Yes. Amazing
1: more on the side but it's an organization that i really appreciate
0: (laughs) and how did you get here and where you where did you come from which planet
1: i not mars
0: not mars well it's all the (laughs) it's being totally like renovated renovated exactly (laughs) that's the new gentrification right now (laughs) isn't it they've got the cameras and the drones and the creature robots it's like okay here we go humans are here yeah
1: i i grew up in minneapolis minnesota Oh,
0: really? We've got a big connection with that city here.
1: Yeah? Yeah. On on the farm?
0: Yeah, we've got Jeff the Volunteer Department from Minnesota and um, Minneapolis on the Potter over here. Nice. Yeah, big presence. Curious.
1: Yeah, I mean it's cold up there and so like in Central Texas there's a lot of similarities in Minneapolis it's just warmer down here.
0: Yes, isn't it (laughs) great? I came here from the East Coast. I'm celebrating every minute.
1: Yeah, I would say Austin and Minneapolis are more or less sister cities.
0: How much do you know about mushrooms? Some of us only know mushrooms from a plate and have little to no knowledge about them. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing local mycologist, farmer, performer, and teacher, Allie Stone. Allie and I talk about all things mushies and mycelium. Allie will tell us how the pandemic has changed the world of mushrooms, her utopia, and post-pan travel plan. This is Ally Stone. How did you end up in Texas? Was it Austin that you came to, or what was your destination when you hit Texas?
1: We did not have a destination. So I started traveling after I graduated from college in 2013. And I did the West Coast, and then I came back for a few a few months, actually. I worked at a food cooperative up there, and they were really awesome and just, like, let me come back to town and work for a few months and then leave.
0: Amazing. So
1: I ended up coming back from the West Coast and getting my job back for a few months, and then— In Austin— no, in Minneapolis. Min- oh, mm-hmm. okay. And then my friend was like, I'm going to Texas. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, um, yes. Because <laughs> I was nowhere near done traveling at that point.
0: <laughs> yes, in your blood.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so he had like, if you've seen those snap-on tool trucks.
0: Yes, yeah. the famous um, logo, of course.
1: One of his friends converted those into an RV and he bought it. It doesn't make a good RV because it gets like eight miles per the gallon. Oh, but
0: I, can't, I was going to say, those things are like armored vehicles. Yeah. Brambles, you get down off there. Brambles, you get down off there. You hear? Hey, cutie. It's kind of the joke. Every time we do an interview out here, Brambles gets in the air. So it's kind of like, don't you dare. You get down from there. Brambles, that ain't for you.
1: One meow. Brambles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's a total um, lap whore too. He will get all up in there. Okay, you did have farming in your blood before.
1: I didn't grow up farming. I just, I love being outside. And so I was trying to figure out the best way to be outside while making a living.
0: (laughs) Yes, for sure. Um, And you get a lot of that here.
1: Yeah. So I did trail, I tried trail maintenance for a little bit and I loved it. Mm. I just didn't see myself doing it long term. But that was something I was outside for, like. Almost hundred percent of the time. Amazing. Uh, and then I switched to farming because that's how I traveled a lot within Texas and within the West Coast was using the Wolf. Have you heard of that one? Oh
0: yeah, yeah. That, we, I mean,
1: I'm sure because Habitable Spaces uses the Wolf organization. So that's what yeah. brought me. That was the main thing I used and got started farming was that organization.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, we um. We're kind of like a good advertisement for them because every other one of my interviews have been um, the amazing people that pass through here through that program. Um, and that's actually one of the things that inspired me to get into podcasting are the dinner parties around the table with all the farmers and the, <laughs> and the artists talking. Brambles, <laughs> you get down. Come on. rambles. So oh, you came cool. to Texas and where'd you land?
1: We... Well, I spent most of my time in Belverde, Texas, which is just a little north of San Antonio. That's where I spent the majority of my time um, on the human path. It's a survivalist school that also focused on um, wilderness medicine and edible plants. And so I ended up spending like at least six months of my time there and then came back on and off.
0: Okay. That was after, before the trail experience, or it all, all kind of combined into one?
1: That was after the trail experience.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Great. Well, um, so you ended up in San Marcos?
1: Yes, more Great. permanently, yeah.
0: Amaz- that's such a cute little city, and <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a university town, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Some people describe it, because I've been in Texas on and off since 2014, and so some people describe San Marcos like a uh, early Austin Bef- hmm. before the university and the city blew up. Yeah. So.
0: Which apparently is only like a 10-year um, time span. There was no, <laughs> I don't know. I, I hear there was no skyline before 10 years ago.
1: That That's crazy. There's been a it? lot of construction in 10 years then. Wow. Um, we're seeing that happen in San Marcos. Uh, there's a lot of condominiums and like student housing going up right now. Um, but I don't think San Marcos has the capacity to, to get as big as Austin does, right? or at least that's what I want to think.
0: (laughs) Well, I hope so. It still kind of has a historical character to it, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, like the downtown, we can't go above like five, I think it's five stories. So our downtown is very short. no, No no big skyline.
0: (laughs) Well, welcome to Texas. Thank you. (laughs) I'm kind of a newbie myself Um, since lockdown. So getting to know, I've been in Austin for a few months now. But since it's been locked down, I haven't been able to explore it, so I'm really excited to check it out.
1: Yeah, we're almost there.
0: You met the farm through the permaculture, um, and how did you stumble on the mycology element?
1: It started in Minneapolis, but it didn't, like, really pop until I moved to the Pacific Northwest because the the mycology culture and mushroom culture in the Pacific Northwest is just really booming and and is very strong, like— their mycological societies have thousands of people in them, hmm. um, so that was a really neat introduction. Was out there.
0: That's amazing. Did you take classes or how did you learn? Did you just study with the masters?
1: <laughs> no, I did not go to university for it. Even though I, I think I would have, um, if if I was younger. But now I, I like the path that I'm going on. So essentially, I've just learned through going to conferences. Um, the radical mycology convergence mm-hmm. is spectacular. And then also festivals like the Telluride Mushroom Festival and the Mycosymbiotic Festival in Pennsylvania. They all have a very great dynamic between like workshops and speakers and then like hang out and getting to know other mycologists and people in into mushrooms. And I that's a lot of where I've learned is just like having conversations with people at those festivals and Hmm. going to those workshops but then there's also just been like online youtube videos and
0: yeah well we were talking about how fascinating it is to listen to the farmers talk farming around the table what do Mm -hmm. you guys talk about with the mushroom community
1: i think there's a lot of overlap in like vegetable farming and in the mushroom world Hmm. um a lot of like forward thinking or innovative thinkers, like DIY thinkers. So a lot of what we talk about is how, what do we wanna see mycology look like? Like, how do we wanna progress and get there? And like, how do we wanna utilize um, mycelium and certain mushrooms for like what you were talking about earlier, like remediation projects and just talking about how how effective they can be. Yeah.
0: Are you talking about the the medi- kind of the medical end when it comes to neuropathy and the brain and um, I, depression, anxiety, stuff like that, addiction I found interesting?
1: No, I was talking more about like using mycelium to clean up, like you were saying, oil spills or like…
0: Mm, so many.
1: A lot of that needs a lot more um, people researching it. A lot of people have done fascinating work so far, and we just need to… Continue to do more to see what what works the best. Um, yeah, there's a lot of undiscovered or studies with certain species that we could still do to see what species better break down hydrocarbons. Um, yeah. yeah, but for the like the the medical side of things hits me personally, and I think that's one reason that got me started with psilocybin, which is really common <laughs> in the mycological world. Not everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people come through it, you know, through culinary or through like for wild foraging with their families growing up. Um, hmm. But my start was psilocybin and addiction. Yeah. Um, yeah. So right. I don't know a lot of that in depth. I've just done personal experience like experiments with myself. Yeah, well that's
0: <laughs> hey, that's the best place to start, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one else would sign the waiver like you did, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Without reading it.
1: <laughs> don't say that on here. I know,
0: I, there's <laughs> just a little that. line down there don't bother reading. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, but it does it did it work? Did you did you test it out? Did it um, and what kind of addictions mm-hmm. was it? Like smoking, drinking, Yeah. las drogas.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I have struggled with alcoholism since I was a wee little lad.
0: Oh my God, me too.
1: Yeah. High five. Yeah. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs>
0: Wonder alcoholic powers so.
1: activate. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because I, uh, <laughs> I do think we have superpowers to be untapped once we get hone in our sobriety. I Could it,
0: not <laughs> agree with you more. <laughs>
1: yeah. I
0: really agree. The more that I meet, the more with that I agree.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think I understand more uh, like the like being reborn, you know, just not in a context of religion, but in a context of going from being an addict most of my life to then experiencing sobriety. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I... So
0: are you... Uh, do you mind if I ask if you're sober right now?
1: Yes, but I think everybody has a different definition of what sobriety is. I've learned
0: that word is like a hot word. Don't use it. (laughs) I will never call my, my even if I'm not doing anything, I will never use the word sober ever again. It's like I am free from this, that, the other, that.
1: That's a good way to put it. I mean, I still, I still say I'm sober, but like I utilize micro, you know, microdosing and psilocybin. And there's certain like quote unquote drugs that I think are okay for me to use because they're not my, um, they're, that's not what I had a problem. Your
0: with. Your weakness, exactly. Yeah. Slash, they're yeah. not
1: some uh, like psilocybin is not addictive,
0: right? Like
1: you build a tolerance to it really quickly, so it's not like you can take it every day and have the same effect over time. Hmm. Um, but again, it's not for everybody. That's just what works for me. Is like I can still yes. do those things without.
0: Yeah, it's very my life individualistic. <laughs> Everyone has a different chemistry. The <laughs> what the brains are wired differently, so. It's all about knowing who you are, especially over the course of time, I think is important. Time time proven. You know? Yeah. Hmm. Um, and has it ever worked for you, like, on the long term? Are you t- thinking—for me, I started drinking mushroom coffee, and wow, is that stuff strong. I don't know if you know about— some of the brands out there it but it's really i mean it's a di- first of all it's very strong so i had to i have to cut it with like regular coffee uh-huh. um but wow it really does hone you and focus you Not just throughout the day, but the next day, you feel a lot different. You're like, what did I do yesterday? But I think it might have a a collective benefit somehow. I don't know. I'm kind of new at it, so we'll see.
1: What uh, coffee are you buying? Is it the Cordyceps? I knew you were going to
0: ask me. Of course, of course. You know, it's like something like resist or to do, you know, like like a strong word, but I can't remember what it was. Mm -hmm. Their packaging is beautiful.
1: A lot of people that I've seen put Cordyceps in their coffee, so that's like a common product. Oh and yeah. Cordyceps is said it has is said to give you energy or or has you know, the people who take it semi regularly, that's what they experience.
0: Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um
1: and it tastes delicious.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it does. So when you get when when the mycologists get together, you just talk about mostly the farming techniques or what how you wanna see it. So do we wanna focus on the medical, do we wanna focus on the culinary, or should we split off and I guess you're kind of thinking, like, a small business a little bit, or?
1: For me, I'm more in, like, the not-for-profit world. So the Central Texas Mycological Society is a non-profit. Um, So a a lot of what, how that group thinks and how we think together is, like, what can we do and create to benefit the community? So, like, right now we are um, trying to divert trash a lot of mushroom farms just throw their mushroom blocks in the in the garbage and it goes into the landfill. Mm-hmm. Um, so our vice president, Sam, Sam, the fungi had this idea of like, Hey, let's try to curb waste. And so he brought that <laughs> to the society. Um, he has his own um, business and then he also works with the society. So one thing we're doing now as a group is diverting from one mushroom farm and then passing it out to our communities. So like, Hmm. We ask for donations for the block, but they're they're free. Like, people can come pick them up and experiment with them. Like, you do not have to donate. Um, so those, it's it's fun because people get to take them home, and they usually fruit again. And so they yeah. get, like— and they
0: learn the process,
1: huh? Yeah, wh- one side of the process. Yeah, they get to just watch it grow. And I think bringing those blocks into people's homes and kitchens is expanding, like, that mycelial web because they're getting yeah, a more intimate relationship with it. Mm -hmm. um and through that so this is like one of the big things we're talking about right now we're working on is like through that project and through those donations we're raising funds to start a community lab and so a lot of lab is lab equipment's really expensive and it's hard for like individuals to to buy like a whole lab by themselves uh in my opinion and (laughs) watching my partner philip uh go through the steps of like building up our lab in our living room it's 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 expensive, right um, and so we're doing a mobile lab, and um, so that's the society buying microscopes and
0: so like a co-op kind of situation.
1: Yeah, except people won't have to like buy into it, so like we do take memberships as a society, it's thirty dollars a year, and so through the the community lab, we'll lend that out to any member who wants to use it um. And, and that helps with further, you know, all sorts of research, like including the micro-remediation that I briefly talked on earlier. It's just like having a lab is very helpful with that.
0: Hmm, okay. So you're kind of starting a community in a way.
1: Yeah, that's our, that's our goal.
0: Well, what are some of the things you teach? What are some frequently asked questions?
1: One thing that I didn't touch on earlier that I'm surprised is like wild, wild foraging is really important to me. Mm, yes. Um, so I'm that's, glad you brought that up. yeah. So I don't, I'm currently not farming mushrooms, but that is a hot topic. A lot of people have questions uh, about cultivating and at home on a home scale, you know, for personal use. Um, so we do have some people coming in to talk about that next month, actually. Uh, but what I love to focus on is just getting out and wild foraging and, in central Texas, it's hit or miss because we get, you know, rain on and off. Like we're about to, yeah, we're about to go into a dry season. Uh, but if we do get good rain, you know, the chanterelles are going to be popping. Um, and one reason why I love wild foraging and focusing on that is because in order to, you know, to save, to save the planet or to save the human Humanity. race. Humanity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, um,
0: please. We need all of this we can get. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all ears right now.
1: Yeah. And so like, so, while foraging helps connect people to nature and, like, and makes us realize, like, we're a part of nature. We're not disconnected from it. Uh, but sometimes it feels that way in, in our cities and in our tech bubbles, you know?
0: Right. Um, More increasingly, I think disconnection is a, a bigger issue from from our food, from our planet, from our fellow human being, interestingly enough. Yeah. You would never think so, but uh, it's having that effect.
1: Yeah, and I feel like the pandemic multiplied that. For people is like creating that a, a deeper oh, divide or kids. disconnection can
0: you imagine mm-hmm.
1: no i can't wow. imagine actually no being i can't kid.
0: either <laughs> even a parent of a kid would, uh, yeah anyway that's a different podcast but yes, yeah so please go on uh
1: i like getting out in the woods and just it wild foraging for mushrooms also connects us to the trees and the greater ecosystems that we're experiencing and live within um, and so that's why I like to take that road because on one side, I'm like seeing, you know, our world's forests being, de- you know, rapidly de- de- deforested and cut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to combat that, creating community that's falling in love with what we're, you know, what we're deforesting and what we're mining, et cetera, is key to stopping it.
0: The example that I hear all the time is a tree is more valuable uh, cut down than it is in the ground. And I think we need to find a balance there, right? In other words, people are selling trees for the wood. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're more valuable when they're cut down because people can make money off of them than... When they're in the ground,
1: right, and to the, to the eyes of the capitalist, yes, yeah. <laughs> to the eyes of the capitalist, exactly. Yes. And so, to find other a really good example of this, and I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the organization, but there is an organization down in, that works a lot in Peru in the the Amazon, is trying to transition people who rely on those um, extractive methods as like mining and de- deforestation. They're trying to switch gears to find a livelihood. So these people and these same people can find a livelihood because that's a huge uh, tug when it comes to, you know, yeah, because they're in survival mode. Yeah. It's
0: like that's, you know, a lot of these people are doing it just because it's the only thing they have left, you right? Know? They don't have the luxury of being like <laughs> the upstanding citizen who would never do that, you yeah, know?
1: right, yeah, exactly. And this organization's help helping uh transition to like ecotourism, which which is.
0: <laughs> Double edged sword, yeah, right? That's what
1: I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah um. <laughs> a good example of finding balance. Like I, I think people could could have a, a good critique of ecotourism and the imperfections of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that balance of these people are finding livelihoods within it. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: Well, that was one of the interesting things from that movie. What was it? Fabulous Fungi? Have you heard Fantastic of Fungi. Fantastic Fungi.
1: Uh-huh. It's
0: so uh, interesting hearing about the interconnectivity c- of things underground um, and that the radical mycology movement talks about the interconnectivity.
1: Yes. I think we're trying. There's a really good chart out there. You know how like a lot of charts are about hierarchies and like humans on top and like every other species is below humans but uh, one that you often see in like the mycological world is like it's a circle and all the species are just in the circle
0: <laughs> right you all, know. all connected to the same yeah center yeah mm-hmm. it's interesting
1: and i think that's what fantastic fungi was really trying besides focusing a lot on like psilocybin in that type of therapy, I think one of the other things that movie was trying to do was wh- what you're saying is like showing that mycelium web and how connected everything was because they had yeah. a lot of visuals about that in the movie.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. But yeah. also how much forest they need in order to, to maintain that interconnectivity. Mm-hmm. You know, if the, if the cities come in and take all the nature out, the mushrooms lose their habitat.
1: Yeah, it's funny because there's some mushrooms that love disturbed areas. So they like human disturbance... Um, is creating a a more abundant ecosystem for them to live in. So like, uh, Mazataki is a good example. It, uh, often grows after human disturbance.
0: How about the culinary? And what are some of the the things happening in that area right now? Are you in touch with that world at all?
1: Not very much. One thing with the mushroom blocks that I'll go back and talk about is, like, since more people in our community in Central Texas are taking these mushrooms home, it's really, really fun to see people experiment in their personal kitchens with mushrooms and, like, learn how to cook with them. I feel like they're getting more popular down here. Like, you were saying in the grocery stores that it's harder. But even in Texas now, you can walk into some stores and you can find the yellow golden oysters or blue oysters or... Uh, King oysters or maitake, like there's a lot more variety showing up in grocery stores. Yeah. So in, in terms and farmers
0: markets, geez, yeah, there's such a palette on some of those tables, it's amazing.
1: The mushroom cult culture is expanding in a way where, like, it is viable to sell those mushrooms that people aren't used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And those mushroom farms or are
0: tasting. Yeah. What um what dictates the the trends on mushrooms or what what they're used for?
1: Oh my God, that's a good question. Like
0: in the, in the culinary <laughs> world, I mean, you know, are there different flavors that react better with certain foods or the color or the texture? I'm just curious to know why chefs choose certain mushrooms for certain foods.
1: Yeah, I would say some of that has to deal with like, or deal, deal with ease of access. So, like, what is in your local store or what is being foraged locally around you?
0: Right. So, you go with what you've got <clears throat> and build from there. Yeah. Okay.
1: I yeah, unless people get stuff shipped in, but I think it's more common to to get what's in your local grocery store and what's fruiting locally. Right. Um yeah. some people do ship mushrooms across across seas and I think that's crazy.
0: <laughs> across season. <laughs>
1: See, like
0: Oh, across seas, yeah. yeah. That's uh, what yeah. That's a whole thing I'm learning about with like that boat that got stuck in the Suez Canal and the pandemic. And the deep freeze in Texas, like, we, we've been talking about transportation systems, but wow, has it really come to light recently, huh?
1: Yeah. Hmm. I think it's really important to have, like, a, a strong local food system, but also when that freeze hit, you know, all the farms were hit hard, even the mushroom farms, because— A lot of mushroom cultivation is indoors and relies on electricity. Mm -hmm. And so even when that storm hit, like the mushroom farms went down, the ones who lost electricity at least.
0: Right. Um, That's an interesting lesson. So even the mushroom farmers rely heavily on the grid, I guess.
1: Yeah. Huh. And veggie farmers had to just, you know, most of us are outside unless you're hydroponic or aquaponic. Yeah,
0: (laughs) right. That was tough. Yeah. Something like 72 hours of freeze. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, so what are some of the things, frequently asked questions about mushrooms that you want people to know about? So um, the interconnectivity element I found interesting. The other part that I found interesting was that it's all underground, is it? Except for the spores, which is the fruit of the plant, which breeds above ground. But there's a lot going on below ground too, right? It kind of reminded me of um like in the brain the neurons you know like the nerve yeah. endings that kind of like that whatever fires in between there i was reminded of whatever they were talking about with mushrooms
1: yeah i think a lot of people do compare like the human brain the internet and the mycelial web so that's what's underground is like mycelium is running beneath our feet and connects connects underground and then the mushroom is the essentially like an apple on the tree like it's the fruiting the fruiting body of that mycelium underground um, but there yes there's a lot happening under there and a, and a, a lot more to still learn um, yeah they are connected with like 95 percent of plant species like connected at the roots so endo or ectomycorrhizal fungi hmm. um, help so
0: it's like a nutrient
1: yeah they help transfer nutrient from you know, different organisms or within species. Hmm. Amazing. And then we also, what is fascinating to me that I I personally need to dive in a lot more is endophytic fungi. So that is fungi that grows between the plant tissues. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And... One reason why I want to dive into it is like a lot of our food is less nutritious than it was like 40 years ago, say. Right. Is that
0: soil quality? Yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: And uh, some people believe it also has to do with the lack of fungal relationships with the plants. Not all veggies have fungal relationships, but um, some people do believe that we are losing that relationship and that is helping uh, exacerbate the loss of nutrients in our foods. Um
0: and I hear um pesticides might have a lot to do with
1: that. Yeah, I mean we're killing we're killing soil microbes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and microbes like,
0: are the important part of of the soil, which you don't have a lot of out here because you've got a lot of clay, right?
1: We should still have a decent amount of like soil microbes down there. Yeah. Um Yeah, tillage is the biggest thing. So pesticides can affect Soil activity because um, a, a lot of pesticides are just uh, broad spectrum, so mm-hmm. they kill everything instead of specific specific things um, but also tilling so you're break you're breaking up that mycelial network um, sometimes it can grow Let, back, but sometimes it takes really a long time to grow back <laughs> huh, right um, yeah, so I work on a farm that does tillage agriculture, but we're very interested we're We're a teaching farm, so we're transitioning some of the farm to minimal till.
0: Well, this is all so fascinating, and it's in the air as well. Um, And it's actually beautiful to photograph and look at. I mean, if I had an aquarium, I would totally do like a mushroom aquarium because I've seen so many beautiful breeds and stuff and colors. I could just stare at it for hours.
1: Yeah, our friend makes mushroom uh, or she adds mushrooms into her terrariums. So it's really cool. Wow. <laughs> it's really pretty. <laughs> and
0: they're alive, or they just— Yeah. Wow. So I don't know how fabulous. long
1: they last, actually, but they're alive in there.
0: How has the pandemic affected um, that world, the mushroom world, or you, or are you thinking any differently now that we're— I guess you could say what, we're kind of coming out of it a little bit because we're in toward the end of April, sun is out, mm-hmm. people are getting whacked. Vaxed and waxed. Vax.
1: Is that what they're calling it?
0: That was I like did a, get waxed for a, my first okay, time. Okay, and I'm back. Are I you back?
1: I got my first shot yesterday. Okay,
0: I'm on too. All right. Well, we're socially distanced enough. <laughs> but yeah, so where it kind of feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel after mm-hmm. more than a year of being in lockdown. Um, are you thinking differently about anything in the in – the, uh, like, like how did it affect you? I'm just so curious to know how – People reacted. To yeah. this. I guess we're not over it yet, but we're kind of feeling the dust settle a little bit. Are you feeling that within?
1: So for me personally, work work increased and and food demand increased. So like during the pandemic, a lot of people did experience like this trauma of of lack of foods on the shelf because of our what you were just saying, like transportation um
0: big shocker huh
1: yeah going it down. was
0: a little bit of a panic seeing mm-hmm. like in, empty shelves in every store it's like i really hope we're this isn't anything long term i mean which it didn't turn out to be but a little nerve-wracking yeah, yeah.
1: I, I think it shows how fr- uh fragile our current uh g- our current existence is right i yeah. mean, <laughs> and that's what yeah. i was saying like like People started... And not
0: local. That was my yeah. big surprise take is that, wow, so... Well, for me, I had no idea how reliant on China I was. Being the, Trying uh-huh. to be the holier-than-thou, but it, it ain't working because I was doing Amazon. Everything was coming from China. And I didn't even have any idea. I think they should have warning labels and stuff, but... <laughs> um, like a
1: lot of our chicken. I mean, we're like... The food system is insane. Like, Texas yeah. is... It's first or second commodity is is cow, is beef, mm-hmm. and we we export most of it, and then we're importing it beef from, you know, Australia. Like, I walked into HEB the other really? day. Yeah, and I, like, looked at my beef package, and it said Australia, and I was like, huh. what the, what the hell? Like, we grow so much cattle huh. here, and yet, that's not what we're, f- like, that's not all of the beef we're getting in our stores, so.
0: yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so, yeah, there was definitely an increase in interest in farming and mushrooms. I think that's the hmm. biggest, one of the biggest takeaways. Really? Take, take that's aways. interesting. Mm-hmm. For me with the pandemic was like, uh, we had an uptick in membership within the Mycological Society because people want to learn how to grow their own food and want to learn how to forage their own food. So, like a lot of, not just the Mycological Society, but like other plant you know, ID organizations also saw this increase in interest because it's like, once you see the food off, like got the shelves empty in the grocery store, what do you turn to? Like Hmm. partially, like, I don't think everything we, I do not think we can get all our food from wild foraging with the amount of like population that we have, but it, um, you know, it's a part, it's an interest, like at least a substitution for, you know, or can be a substitution for a big part of the population. Um and then farming, like we uh, like I said, I'm at a I work at a teaching farm and we do a farmer starter program. Um and we were getting like four people in our classes pretty consistently, but when the pandemic hit, like we we had more applications
0: yeah, uh, than we, more we could
1: accept. And that it's Wow, I
0: wonder if this is gonna last long term. I'm curious.
1: I don't know yet. It's we've gone through two classes. Um one class filled up and we're going on our second class which is also proving to be like we have a lot of application and it's proving to be more applicants than we can accept so i think that's really exciting and we'll see how it goes i think that's a really good question it's like uh because i like how long are people going to have an increased interest in wild food and cultivated food um yeah
0: at least they're kind of waking up i mean Mm -hmm. it's a beginning you know People are starting to ask a lot of important questions with I, which I think is good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like one of the biggest things that both the pandemic and people are calling it snowvid, but the snowstorm. <laughs> uh, snow
0: oh my god. Uh, that's good. I've been looking for a term. I've been vid. calling the deep freeze, snow apocalypse, <laughs> it's all been done, but snowvid yeah. is one that we will never repeat. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. <laughs> Cuz it covers it all, right? It's yeah. crazy.
1: Uh but th- when those events happen I mean this obviously this is my first pandemic that I've lived through Mm, um, as many of us knowingly yeah Um, yeah I just think when those things happen it's a huge wake up call of like what people I think people ask themselves like am I doing what I want to be doing in my life because there's these dramatic things that happen
0: right total reprioritization right yeah Um, That's why I think the wolfing program right now is could be really healing to a lot of people, especially the young ones who don't know what they want and, you know, don't want to go back to school because they're so traumatized. I think it could be really cool for people to experience that. Yeah. Cool.
1: I think it helped me.
0: Yeah. On the farming thing, do you think people are going to start um, focusing a lot more on local and micro-local farmers or— for us uh, uh, here at the farm, we started the farmers market pretty much in response to the pandemic, nice. um, which is still going. Um, and it was amazing. We uh, collaborated with the farm to raise produce for it. It went. It, it went like that. It was amazing. Uh, and I think people were getting in touch with what they were eating for the first time. So I yeah. think that's kind of a success story. Do you have you seen any success stories with people changing their ways, like? Um, Pretty hardcore, or making changes that incorporate permaculture, mushrooms. Um, it's kind of hard to make it a force of habit, you know. Because I, mm-hmm. I, I got, I was doing all these things out here when I was living here, mm-hmm. but now that I'm back in the city, I'm becoming reliant on Amazon and you know, like fast food and stuff like that. But I am learning to cook, so yeah. I guess that's a good thing. Have you seen any good success stories yet from? Silver linings, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah. So right now I work at Farmshare Austin, is a nonprofit organization in Cedar Creek. It's about fifteen minutes from the Austin airport. Um, we currently work on, on three acres of vegetable production, an acre of orchard, and the whole property is ten acres. Um, and so what I've been hinting at is we have we have three pillars, and and one of the ones that I Focus on is the farmer starter program, mm-hmm. or like I'm the farm. I work in the fields as the farm manager, so right. That is one I'm most involved with is the farmer starter program, and we. To me, it's a success story to see these students come to the farm and really engage with farming and being outside for a lot of people it's their first time growing things so to me watching somebody grow something throughout the season is pretty beautiful like so
0: rewarding and just seeing how rewarding it is for them too right
1: yeah and a lot of our students go on to either starting their own farm or getting into to food somehow fabulous if that's through policy or through working at like just working at farmers markets or doing something in food um one of the things we focus on, on uh, at our farm is food access, too. So we sell food for, at a discounted price. And, you do.
0: Oh, that's amazing, um, especially in Austin where there's so much homelessness and division.
1: Yeah, I think it has a lasting impression on children. So I, yeah. I am very interested in working with children in, in both the mycological world and in the veggie farming world because— Yeah. Um, they're, That's where you're well, gonna. A, they're sure. little sponges. Yeah, they <laughs> but, haven't closed
0: their minds yeah. off and gone one-dimensional yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and b they bring a lot to the world. Like I think they bring a lot of new perspective to adults as well. So like if you if you're an adult teaching these children like farming and mycology, I feel like they have a lot to add to the field and have, you know, that much time to to develop whatever they're learning and expand on what they're learning. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah, it's kind of uh learning a different language. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like me versus you. It's that we are <clears throat> all interconnected to every single atom in the universe. This mm-hmm. movie really went down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, people need to learn about that, but it's so not what we learn in our culture here with, you know, With fear and everyone with competition. Division, yeah. Division and polarization. Fungi fight
1: in the in the wild. I think that Yeah,
0: I found that fascinating. The mothers look out for their kids. They're like, hey bitches, you're (laughs) out of here. Do not threaten my child. (laughs) It's like that's amazing. They're alive and they're warriors. They're like and and that's where um, penicillin came from. I was like,
1: Oh my god, this is so cool. (laughs) I brought you uh, oyster mushrooms and they actually they eat nematodes. So they're...
0: Okay, I don't know what that is. What is that?
1: Uh, it's a little soil microbe. And so okay. they essentially... I mean, there's uh, like two techniques that I know of that they do, but they essentially like uh, um, put out exudates or enzymes to attract these nematodes, and then like lasso it and...
0: Like zap them? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is all going on in the soil? Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> um. So not all mushrooms are vegan. Yeah.
0: Oh right. Okay, so it's they're they're not the plant world, but they're not the vegetable world either. Is mm-hmm. that is that true? Yeah, they're their own like living weird alien.
1: They have they're essentially their own kingdom. Or yeah, or they kingdom. are. So they're not
0: plant. They're not vegetable. They're what are they?
1: Kingdom fungi. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. There's a fungus <laughs> among us, huh?
1: They're multicellular organisms that are close, more closely related to us than we are to plants. So I think that's really cool. If if you want to like divide things like that, it's very multidimensional.
0: There was a fork in the road, mm-hmm. and, and it went to mushrooms on one side, and mammals and fish and animals on the other.
1: And us, yeah, like.
0: So I, we're derived from mushrooms,
1: essentially. Or dude, what are some of the <laughs> but, films
0: that you've seen recently?
1: There's a really good one that National Geographic mm-hmm. uh, put out with Trad Cotter. Uh, Trad Cotter's with Mushroom Mountain, and he is pretty. Uh, progressive in the mycological world Um, he works on everything from you know co-starting a psilocybin retreat in Jamaica to like working in North Carolina um, with medicine and and trying to create um, uh, patient-specific medicine so one things that mushrooms do is exudate (laughs) they produce exudates Um, and which is what they are like sugar, a sugary substance, and it, it helps the mushrooms digest, digest things. Mm. Um, but an, another thing um, is that they can be used medicinally.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, so these sugars you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Um, Curious. How do they research stuff like this? How do they know? I guess people like you that just try it on themselves, well, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: the volunteer guinea pigs. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, it's been happening for centuries in, in Eastern cultures. Like, people using reishi mushroom is very, uh, w- one of the more well-known ones that have been used for centuries. Mm. Um, but now, like, the Western world is catching on more. Right. More and more. I think, I mean, I do not not have an exact answer for you, but I think when there's enough people, like, Interested, you know, it's like it's like a, it's like a snow, yeah, it's like a snowball effect. Like you get enough yeah. people interested, and then eventually it explodes exponentially. Cool. Um, and the thing with like, uh, like psilocybin and other drugs is like, at some point, it doesn't feel safe for like a small group of people to talk about it. But when you have force behind it, it becomes safer because mm. you know that's a class one <laughs> scheduled drug. So it's like. Yeah.
0: But if enough people know about it and talk about it, they're not afraid of it, which yeah. I think is the driving force between a lot of the culture wars and everything is fear.
1: Yes, and I think realizing the necessity of humans finding finding light, right? So, like we're yeah, all, we're
0: kind of desperate right now yeah. It's a species and a planet. It's like, uh, I mean, I think people are. Awaking up to the fact that we really need to work hard on thinking different, however mm-hmm. that might be. And it's really hard work to get out of to pluck yourself out of your ritual day low habitual on the daily basis. Like yeah. I've found it really challenging. But I think if if we do it as a group, you know it'll happen maybe hopefully a lot easier. But yeah, it's really time. I mean, they say the world is on a reset. You know, for me, that's certainly the case. But a lot of mm-hmm. people have had time to, like you were talking about. Um, just sit with themselves for a year. Oh my God, I just can't imagine like the LA and New York, like the city people were uh-huh. on lockdown. I was so glad to be out here on the farm because we kind of <laughs> didn't know it was going on because like everything's outside and we only congregating here mm-hmm. and we got locked. I was so thankful.
1: So I also feel that way because I'm like, like I said, things kind of just picked up on the farm and I didn't. You know, I didn't get a break. So I'm like, ne- maybe next year is my break
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs>
1: because I can't, right. I can't really. What
0: was your life like? So, so when you say you're on the farm, were you actually working? The Do you guys have a community like it is here or what is your farm life like? Do you live there?
1: Nobody lives there except students during the semester. Okay. Um, so yeah, we all commute. There's 11 employees. Hmm. Um Yeah, we all could. And
0: so you were just doing what you were doing before or Mm -hmm. did you, you didn't shut down or?
1: Well, the (laughs) only difference that I like don't necessarily like to bring up is we just ended up wearing a mask every day. And I think, Hmm. I mean, that was one of the biggest differences, but also at the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't know how it transferred, because that was like up in the air for a while of, like, how yeah. does COVID, you know, spread from person to person, and so...
0: But you can't just shut down a farm no, either.
1: No, that's why that's we... so weird. We I went never thought of that. masks, even though we were outside. It's just, like, an extra precaution um, because we do have, like, students, and we were having, like, visitors. Mm. And eventually, we just went to a couple of us harvesting because we thought it was, like, the safer method until we learned otherwise. Right. Um, so I'm glad that's over because now everybody's so harvesting. for you. It was
0: like double time <laughs> right, back to work. Like you didn't yeah. have a vacation like a lot of people did, right?
1: Yeah, my job is pretty good. At this is one thing that I love about working where I work is that we're f- we're flexible and understanding of when people need a break. You know, like even if it's you know somewhat inconvenient for the workflow. Um, one thing I was bringing up earlier is like we are. I think the pandemic brought up or to light like a lot of mental health issues that our yeah. society is going through hence like the 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 boom and also trying to find like alternative medicine to yeah i didn't even us. think of
0: that totally yeah. i bet it's interesting from your perspective seeing uh the, all the effects of the pandemic and you know and on people's minds and their ways of thinking mm-hmm. um as i said i hope there are silver linings and there's some there somewhere but i bet from your perspective as a farmer You see a lot of success stories. It sounds like you do.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, CSAs, which stands for Community Supported Agricultures, which you are probably familiar with. um, Those were selling out rapidly, or like there was waiting lists. Like one farm had a waiting list of like three hundred people, which is a lot (laughs) for a CSA because like sometimes it's it's hard to fill those because people are, you know, we're used to going to the grocery store. We're used to getting curbside. um, You know, we're used to getting. Amazon food delivered so like there's all of these like super convenient individualized ways to get food and Mm. a CSA is not as you know it's not as individualized as you know you picking out what you want from the store yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. so well I
0: guess let's talk (laughs) utopia because sometimes I get off on these tangents where I'd like to have better options Mm -hmm. you know not having to do Amazon every time or the big you know international superstore things. Um, what what kind of changes would you like to see? Like if, if someone said, okay, I am going to make you politician and I'm going to give you the power to make whatever the <laughs> hell you want to happen, <laughs> happen. So what
1: a great question. <laughs> how
0: do you want, well, for me, I'm like, you know, I better not get too preachy over here because I always heard the expression, if you don't have a better recommendation for a better way of mm-hmm. doing it, like, don't bitch about it. That's mm-hmm. kind of me with capitalism. I see I see the divides and I see, you know, um, all the injustices that it causes, especially to the environment. It's like, dudes, we're committing suicide here. Like, bad business plan. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a better way, <laughs> you know. I hear that all these different people, like from Russia, talk about, you know, the way that the communism and then there's socialism. And I'm like, well, you know, we all have this idea of how things should be, but then you've got the human nature that, you you know, it always, when you combine human nature with some of these systems, it ends up not working because we have the greed, we have the envy, we have the ego, we have the these survival mechanisms that are left over from our caveman days, like the tribalism that's happening now and all the division. And then we on top of this, we have the propaganda and all the media that we didn't have before. So, you know, 10 years ago, social media was not where it is today. So yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a little confused. This is for my own curious benefit because I want to have a good answer if someone asks me that question. So, how, mm-hmm. like, how would you say um, you would improve the world after, especially after post pandemic, after the snow, snow vid? Snow vid. <laughs> so hilarious. Like, I don't know. How would you change the world, knowing what you know?
1: Well, I first off, I do want to say that I think a lot of a lot of greed and envy or ego comes from like the like the culture that we currently live in. like I think capitalism feeds feeds ego and feeds individualism. Um, so I don't think it's inherent to human nature to like be greedy. You like I, I, I was
0: curious about. I that.
1: understand like the side of like survivalism, like when we have to eat, when we get desperate, we do desperate things. Mm. Um, but I think we're at a tipping point in humanity where we have the technology, to to not be in survival mode any like anymore or like we have the technology to create utopia um and i and i think we should strive for that like i, I listen listened to this podcast about i am a socialist so i'm okay. coming i'm coming right. from like from that frame of mind or like i am at least developing my socialist perspectives of the okay. world, I would say. I, I would say they're always developing. I'm not, <laughs> I'm never going to end.
0: We're always learning. These yeah. are in such a state of flux. It's like we, none of us know all the answers. It's conversations like this that are going to get us there. Like the mycelium element.
1: Yeah. So I think, I think it is important to shoot for that, like that utopia. But what does utopia look like? Because it's going to look different for we need a lots of people. <laughs> we need
0: a vision. That's the thing, a yeah. shared vision. And conversations like this are going to get us there. But wow, we've got a long way to go.
1: Yeah. I think I'm gonna try to make this tie in together but what I what I would like to see in like a more u- utopian future is like so Amazon is a privately ran company right and their biggest thing isn't even like their their delivery services it's their they own a lot of the Internet, Co- yeah, infrastructure. I was the trying cloud. to use my hands. Yeah, I know. I can, I can see that the listener
0: can't see. She's hot sign languaging a big, fluffy cloud. It's about two feet big, and it's it's kind of like squeezing the charmin a little bit.
1: Yeah. So one one thing. So I don't think we need to like break up Amazon, like people have talked about, like our politicians have talked about. But what I would like, what I would rather see. Is that to be become like a community owned entity rather than like a private? I'm not for mm-hmm. privatization of like any, essentially anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but you
0: think with human nature, it'll work? Like, you can make socialism work?
1: Yes, I do think that there's a ch- there's challenges that we're gonna have to face, but we're facing a lot of challenges on like how we currently exist, right? Like like the inequality is is greater than it's ever been. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: to a ridiculous degree. Yeah,
1: and I think that it's hard it's hard for me to wrap my head around, so I assume it's hard for other people to wrap their head around like how much that like Jeff Bezos actually owns yeah. and makes in a year, like you know, mm. greater than some countries you know.
0: Yeah, but you have to give it to them. They are so ahead of the curve on so many levels, like from their customer service to their, you know, just after this unionization vote, you know, I discovered that they pay double in some small towns and what the comparable jobs uh, pay. So... There are certain parts of it I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of a little torn because, you know, whether we like it or not, these big corporations are keeping people fed and alive. Is it a, slate, a modern slave system? And if we need to transition out of it, how would that happen? Like, I'm like that with the UBI, like universal basic income. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a great idea, but wow! How would you transition to what would what effects would it have on society? That's like a step major by step. Ripple is effect. how
1: you transition.
0: Yeah, but think, like, but do you think people are capable of that? I mean,
1: capitalism's not that old. I mean, I think like, correct me if I'm wrong, people listening, but I'm pretty sure it's only like 200 years old. So we've gotten, you know, it's like such the short time that we've experienced the current way we exist that we're very capable of growing out of it. Hmm. Um yeah. and taking the good like keeping the good and changing the bad. Um, I think yeah. one thing I want to touch on that you said earlier is like with the with the wealth and being, you know, these companies paying their employees a certain amount. Um, it's like if they didn't have those employees, they wouldn't be making anything. Like I so oh, right. like they still take the majority of the wealth home and they own the means of production, which like I would vote for like those employees owning the means of production and having control over how much how much they produce because like right now we're just producing things just for the sake of yeah for the sake of profit and
0: yeah Hmm.
1: sometimes it's really destructive right like all those little gadgets and stuff that we just throw away after a couple uses i just think we're getting to a point where we do have to like be extremely honest with ourselves and, like, look at the plastic building up in the oceans and make that hard choice yeah. to, like, transition. Yeah. Um, that's cute. I can hear the goats I so know, loud in my great. head. So cute. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God.
0: Mm. I did goat therapy with them when they were babies. It was so much fun.
1: I think mushrooms are going to be a huge part of our future. Um, great.
0: I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I really like the language they speak.
1: Like someone just came out with shoes. People are working on clothing. Oh,
0: yeah. What are some of the multi uses? It's kind of like hemp a little bit. It's reminding me of the early days.
1: Yeah. My friend just insulated a whole house with hemp insulation. So that yes. was really cool to see that.
0: Yeah. Um, and this is very regenerative. You can, you know, bring it back season after season without destroying the soil, I think.
1: Yeah. Certain things, it depends on how we decide to practice them. For mycelium, it's been used to replace like packaging, like plastic packaging. (sighs) Coffins, that's a huge topic. I would love it. We
0: need a plastic alternative. Um, you said coffins. Yeah, I was okay, going to say I do want to transition to, to that way.
1: randomly. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> there's a couple people that have started businesses. One of one of them was like a myceliated bag. So essentially, it's it's just a bag mm. with I forgot what species of mushrooms, but it's a specific species that Growing. is a, inoculated in the bag. And then you put the body in the bag, and then you bury the bag. And then instead of like like pumping formaldehyde, which is something capitalism did for us, is the creation of like our current uh, pumping formaldehyde into dead bodies so they don't decompose. It was like an a a waste product, like a lot of. Oh my
0: god, I had no idea. Like a lot of
1: pesticides. It's just a a waste product from World War Two and Two and One.
0: So, oh. Okay, but there's cool. this other
1: coffin that's cool. It's a wooden coffin. Yeah. And that one is actually like in business. People started to buy it. <laughs> what, does mean, it do? no.
0: what does it do? What does it do? Mo- it just
1: like myceliates the whole box and then with
0: the body inside.
1: Each damn body. Yeah. So, oh my
0: God. That's <laughs> or, so cool.
1: Other things eat your body too, but it helps. Like it helps in the decomposition process.
0: That's amazing. Hmm.
1: Which I, that's the kind of like innovative thinking that I think we need. Um, yeah. Like a lot of cultures prior, <sighs> I don't have a date, but prior to our nor like how we fun- like how we deal with dead bodies now, they used to like keep them in the house, keep them around. Like it just used to be a <laughs> whole different experience than we live now, and so I think we have all the potential to to do whatever we want, like to create the utopia that we want to see.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I know, but I really do. I think one of my missions with this podcast is to have a better informed answer. Mm -hmm. I remember I took a a class in college and it was all about what what your utopia would be. But for me, I'm like, okay, let's start envisioning something so we can have some kind of a vision for when Mm -hmm. people... Ask, you know, like, how would you do things differently or what would you do? Because sometimes when you have a vision, you can, it actually comes true. But you've, for me, I've got to have something, you know, at least in the far off distance that I can mold my conversations and my decisions and all that stuff.
1: On, yeah. So. I think habitable spaces shows this in a way. And this is something that I want to move towards is like, uh, just community based living situations um, and just having more more events with your neighbors or more like doing more with your immediate community. Like,
0: yeah. Interacting with your fellow human being. Yeah, I think that's a very necessary thing that we didn't, we, we were taking for granted before digital came in. I keep hearing the future is local. The future is local, and after the it might pandemic, have to be, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I
1: love. Global. I mean,
0: zombie apocalypse. Like this is where this is where I'm coming yeah. when the zombie apocalypse happens.
1: So I love the local movement as a local farmer, and I appreciate it. And I also love what, glo- like, parts of what globalization has done for humanity. So, like, I, it's I love. It's a tough one. Right. That, yeah, that's one of those really tough ones because it's like, well, I don't want, we're never just going to shut ourselves off from the rest of the world just because we want to be, like, hyper-local.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's how mycelium interacts. It's interdependence and interconnectivity. Mm-hmm. And it's on a global scale, but a little wonky.
1: Yeah, I just we can interact on a global scale, more of, a f- more, more better, but more say. kind of unified <laughs> a little
0: bit. I don't know, but we're uh, we're in all in such communication <laughs> with each other, you know, for better or worse, mm-hmm. that we actually can make things happen on a global scale that kind of transcends the bor- borders and the flags and the religions and yes. the geography.
1: And I th- and that's like that's what i think technology can help with you know it doesn't ha- we don't have to use technology for war and and degradation and separation we can use Agreed. it in order to like cr- like create better transportation to different countries right like we can use it to benefit society rather than shove us in the dirt right
0: <laughs> know, like- or to be you know bullying or violent or we put so much money into our military-industrial complex. I'm like, first of all, where is that going? you know? And secondly, mm-hmm. can we be, if it has to go to that complex, can't we make the complex strive for better goals for humanity? Can we not maybe do something that might benefit the whole of mankind?
1: Like or education? Is that not
0: an option? <laughs> like Just like kind of asking. I don't know. I yeah. know it's a touchy subject. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I th- so I, I was reading something. It's approximately eighteen thousand dollars to gear up one soldier during the Afghan War. Wow!
0: You know, seeing all that <clears throat> stuff they have on them, that does not surprise yeah, it doesn't, me. Yeah, and that it doesn't stuff surprise is all so high tech; it's crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: But just thinking about that and thinking about how much one school could could do with eighteen thousand dollars. Yeah. You know,
0: truly, truly.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, okay. This is great. Well, let's talk about your vagina. Your vagina monologues. <laughs> experience. Let's talk about my vagina. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are you a performer, or what was your <laughs> uh, what uh, what was your connection to that? So um. you've got a lot of food, bath, Mushrooms, farming. But then you had that. I'm like, okay, I'm fascinated.
1: Random. Yeah. And you met
0: our <laughs> artist in residence, Wanda, right?
1: I have not. I don't think.
0: Oh, I thought she went to, she actually went to it, but oh, you shit. might not have been there. Yeah.
1: No, I was there. It's busy. I, so I started as a performer in college.
0: You did. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. And then I think I, per, I performed for one year and then I decided to help with like the organization aspect of it.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so I did my first, I did it for five years in a row. Uh, the pandemic year is the year that we didn't do it because I did not have the bandwidth to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. So performing and it's really fun. Um, so yeah. Wh-
0: so were you an actor at one point?
1: Yeah, they're all mo- <laughs> they're all essentially monologues that are pre. Most of them are pre-written in the script, which it's it's. I've just picked a different script every time, and like huh. each wo- woman reads it differently, so it's kind of it like changes from year to year. Um, sometimes the monologues don't always change completely, but, like, because different women are performing them, they are...
0: Two totally different flavors. Yeah, uh, completely. Fascinating. Um,
1: yeah, so what got me into it is, like, I mean, there's statistics flying around, but it's, like, uh, like one in every three women experience some sort of rape or abuse in their life, and mm. that happened to me when I was younger. So it's that was one of the things that, like... I was looking for community, and so I found it in that performance. Um, it's it's a sh- typically like a short performance, right? You you kind of plan it for like a couple months, and then it's over. But like during the planning stages, it's it can be really beautiful because like you're meeting all of the other women in the performance, and like meeting other people that are helping out during it. Hmm. Um, and then the whole performance is just about is about raising awareness and like creating dialogue. Um, there's Very been. Cool. Plenty of times where people leave the performance and and have conversations yeah? with like their significant other. They're in the
0: Bible Belt, honey. That must yeah, be. Yeah, I'm Sorry. Yeah. No. It,
1: it was even fun making those posters and hanging the posters up in some areas because they're like, "What does that say?" <laughs>
0: like, it's oh your, my god! Your vagina.
1: Have you heard? Have you seen the word? So
0: <laughs> mm,
1: that that's was hilarious. fun. I mean, where's, like Minneapolis, like, now that's mi- yeah. a Texas experience. <laughs> yeah. Hanging
0: the posters for the vagina monologues.
1: Yeah. Like, that's Minneapolis is different. Oh my god. We're more like lefty. There's a lot of leftists, a lot oh, of yeah. liberals in Minneapolis, so it's not as big of a deal. People are like, whatever. That, <laughs> whatever. That's
0: <funny. laughs> that Did it get good reception here?
1: It did. We interesting. It was hard to do it the first couple years, but there was a lot of women in San Marcos that helped that had connection. Because I didn't have a lot of connection to San Marcus the first year I did it. Um, so it was awkward for me, but it turned out pretty great. We did it in a bar. It was the only gay bar in San Marcus. And so it was really nice to like have that connection. We've always done like the performance and then something else afterwards because like the performance can be really heavy.
0: Ah, uh, okay. um, So it's serious.
1: Yeah, really. Not all of it. Some of it's funny, oh, but yeah. it, it can be really heavy and emotional. And mm. so that's important, but also we like to do something fun. So we've had burlesque a lot afterwards.
0: Oh, fun. Uh,
1: and I love wa- burlesque, watching burlesque dancers. Sparkle, wanna, sparkle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So where are you, where are you going from here? What, what are your objectives for, uh, post pandemic?
1: Actually, I, so I love, I am going to keep farming, yeah. but I have always had this I've always wanted to travel internationally, so that's like on Ooh, the docket. Yeah. Like I would like to save up a little bit more money and then go travel for maybe a year and see where it gets me. Um,
0: any ideas?
1: I Peru that,
0: oh, fabulous. Yes, there's a lot of farming up in the them hills.
1: yeah, I would like <gasps> Cuba is another one. i I mean, there's almost no place that's not on my list. It's just yeah. a matter of like where do I want to go <laughs> first. But right. I kind of feel like an opportunity is just gonna like kind of present itself to show where to go first.
0: Yeah. Have you traveled a lot internationally? Or would this be a first?
1: This I've gone to Canada once <laughs> when I was in high school.
0: Oh, wow! How exotic so, of you! It
1: was exotic. So
0: far from home,
1: it huh? <laughs> it was like a six-hour drive. Oh my god! god You've got drive. a whole
0: world <laughs> ahead of you. You've got a, a lot of things to see, right? Yeah. That's exciting.
1: I mean, so in the United States, wow. there's there's a plethora of like farming techniques to learn so I I could definitely stay here and learn like so much about farming and like um so I don't need to leave but it's a desire of mine because I want to I do want to see how other cultures you know go about life being human yeah um especially
0: the more indigenous have been doing it for generations
1: yeah and that That is one reason. So, one reason why I want to go to Cuba is because during the embargo, they had to become very self sufficient in farming. So, I just wanted to like go see Hmm. what happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Have you talked to anyone? Do you know anyone? No, not yet. Okay. I'm like
1: in very beginning stages of like researching. Um, And I would rather go somewhere like with a connection, but also there's Wolf International, like Wolf Latin America. Um, Yeah. Which is, which is awesome to me because it yeah. is a really good way to plug in. Um, I was actually just having a hard time finding native farmers when I was looking in Ecuador. Like a lot of people were from France or from around Europe uh, mm. that, that just ended up buying farms in Ecuador. Um, yeah. So I just found that interesting. But once I go back to my research, we'll see yeah. where it ends up.
0: You know, they had a family in here uh, through the international program from Israel, Mm -hmm. And they knew a lot about farming. It was fascinating listening to them talk, talk, kind of exchanging farming ideas and stuff.
1: Yeah. Hmm. I worked at a farm in Texas in Fredonia, and one of the men is from Armenia. And a lot of, how he was describing it is a lot of people there have, they have a small plot of land in front of their house. Like that's common for Mm. people to be growing some, at least some of their own food in their front yards. Like,
0: Yeah, did you know um, the lots in um, Austin are long and narrow because they're called victory garden lots? I didn't know this. Um, So they were designed for the home to be in the front Mm -hmm. and then the bulk of the lot to be reserved for growing your own garden, which I found fascinating. If you look at the maps, they're all like these big slices.
1: I actually, I didn't know that, but my... um one of the women, her name is Angel. She does a lot for the Mycological Society. She also is the vice president for the Austin Organic Gardeners Association. And they they have a lot of meetings about all different sorts of like farming techniques um, and get people from like all over the states and from Mexico. Mm. And they just had to talk about Victory Gardens. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. But I did want to plug the organization because they, that, Gardening Association has been around for 75 years.
0: What's, what's it called again?
1: The Austin Organic Gardeners mm, Association. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so there's like a lot of old timers in there that have been in the organization a long time and, and have indirect or direct experience with the Victory Gardens. Yeah. Um, so they had a talk recently on it. So.
0: That was one of the things I learned from the pandemic. That I, they said victory gardens are coming back. I'm like, what is that? And it's a whole like viewpoint on the, war, on the post-war life. Uh-huh. You know? So we might be getting back to it. Well, okay. So if you do travel internationally, I wish you luck because there's so much to see out there. But it's also, I think, a very important time to get to know the farming communities. For me especially, my heart's in India because I've been there for three times. And they are very agrarian. And, you know, the big corporations are coming in and they're pushing the small farmers out. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, express an opinion yet on that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's very important that people get to know the farming community um, internationally. So good luck.
1: 100 yeah. So it's kind of like the
0: mycelium. You're kind of like spreading the mycelium on an international basis through the farming community.
1: Yeah. It'll be exciting.
0: Yes. Well, good luck with everything. Hey, I really appreciate your time. It's been like an hour and a half. I'm sorry. About really?
1: think. Yeah, I right. know.
0: But it was just uh, <laughs> such a great conversation. I think people are really going to get a lot out of getting to know you through this podcast. I really Woo! appreciate it. All right, any parting, (laughs) let's plug some of your causes. Um, The Mycelium, the Central Texas, That Garden Club. Tell people who want to explore how they can find things that we talked about. WOOF International is a big one. Yes. First and foremost. So
1: that's WWOOF. It stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. And you have to buy a yearly membership, but then you, but it's it's pretty cheap. I think it's like 20 bucks a year, 30 bucks a year. And then you can go on there and look at a bunch of farms and then communicate with a farmer and decide where you want to go and volunteer. Yeah. So, yes, I would – A lot all, of yes.
0: very cool people you meet on that yeah. journey, by the way.
1: Great. Yes. And then uh, centraltexasmycology.org, that you can visit that for everything mycological in Central Texas. And we get, we've get we gotten some international and, and other national folks coming and speaking on it. Fabulous. Um, Yeah, that's been really, really fun. Um, And then the Central Texas Young Farmers Coalition.
0: Nice, love that.
1: (laughs) Join us. We have elections coming up, so that is something you could dive right into and help the leadership team. Um, We're just how that organization is helping strengthen, you know, our local young farmer community because most farmers are aging out, so we need young farmers need to come in. We need the youth
0: (laughs) completely. They're all leaving. Yeah. But they're all coming. A lot of them are coming back too, which I find very inspiring. Yes. Right.
1: Um, I think this all, Farmshare Austin. Look them up. All right. Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Um, yep. Got a lot out of this, and we might be circling about uh, back around for questions and answers and stuff. We shall Woo. see.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Welcome back. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you, Stone. <laughs>
1: Tripping down here without reservations
0: Without knowing his destination But now he's here but not quite clear Just what he will do Some friends from habitable spaces Said come on over to one of our places So we jumped right into Life on the farm Hey High. Everybody's gotta have some time to